to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, and it's a solo pod as Tyler gets tonight off to celebrate his birthday. Now, I'm a bit older than Tyler, so I'm assuming I didn't get the invite to his party simply because it's at Chuck E. Cheese, and that's not a place that I like to frequent. But nonetheless, we've got a lot to talk about still this evening. Uh, we've got a whole lot going on in Sooner Sports. Men's basketball snaps a seven-game conference losing streak. The women's team is boring in probably the best way possible. Softball's opening week brought some mixed results, which we uh, will jump into. And then the College World Series runner-up returns to the field Friday. And of course, we haven't forgotten football. We've got a special Would You Rather scenario for football, which is actually where we're going to start the podcast tonight. So we tweeted this out through our, our Twitter channel at the Mainline Pod. We got a whole bunch of different responses, which we'll go through there. But we put out a would you rather scenario. And really, this actually stems from a great mailbag question that we actually stole from uh, Andy Staples and his his mailbag article that he runs through The Athletic linked in our show notes here. So if you are a subscriber or if you want to be a subscriber, check out that mailbag article because it's got some good context there. But essentially what the would you rather is scenario is, is would you guarantee one one national title for the Sooners over the next 20 years or... Would you roll the dice and hope for more championships? And I know a lot of people are really excited with what's going to come from the Brent Venables era and what that might entail. We've seen a great recruiting class just come in, number four in the country by a lot of different services, several five stars, some new defensive talent that's come into the picture, along with some of the familiar offensive talent that we're used to getting. But there is a move that's coming up on the horizon here to the SEC. There's some different changes coming in with the 12-team playoff. There's a lot of different factors that are changing. And in the mailback article from Andy Staples, he walks into some of the scenarios there in regards to, hey, you know, teams like Alabama, like Georgia, uh, like Ohio State, they're, they're rolling the dice in that scenario. They're shooting for way more than one national championship over the next 20 years. Oklahoma's a little bit different story. You know, in the four-team playoff, OU made it four times, lost every single time in the four-team playoff. A little bit more access now with the 12-team playoff. You're going to go to the SEC. You're going to have more talent coming through the door, but you're also going to have a more challenging schedule. You're going to be playing the likes of not only Alabama and Georgia, but other teams that are are very highly regarded, like LSU, like Florida, uh, Tennessee's on the up and up. Texas A&M's got a ton of talent, even despite the five and seven record this past year. So you've just got a whole lot of different factors to, to take into consideration here. And then you look back in the past history and you go, okay, well, OU hasn't won a national championship in, what, 20, 22 years at this point, the last one coming in 2000. And OU's played for three of them, 2003, 2004, 2008. Hasn't played for a national championship in 12 years since 2008. That's a long time in, in college football world. So I think if you went back and you you went back to 2001, would you guarantee the one at that point? Would you roll the dice? I know we got a great response on on Twitter from that one. Uh, John Morgan uh, on Twitter said, you know, we rolled the dice in 2001 and we didn't get any. And I thought that was a great point. You know, for for Oklahoma, we're a proud program and I'm probably the biggest proponent of this particular, uh, you know, expectations for the program is, hey, we win a championship every single year. That's the goal. Anything less is a failure. But at the same time, OU hasn't won a national championship since 2000. And honestly, that's a different era at this point. You know, we, we've moved on from the BCS era, which spanned from 1998 to 2013. We're in the playoff era. We're in the, the mega conference era at this point. 
And part of being a blue blood is, hey, you've got to be winning and competing for national championships in each era. And OU's done that ever since the 50s, won, won three in the 50s, won a pair in the 70s, won a, a national championship in 1985. And then Bob Stoops brought us back 15 years later after that 1985 national championship to win our, our seventh. And since then, nothing. So you look back and you go, man, it would have been nice to have at least one over the last 22 years since that that last national championship in 2000. And you really just hasn't been able to do that. And over the last 12 years, not even a single appearance in the national championship game. You know, and so do you say, hey, maybe it's worth worth just guaranteeing it. If, if that's the scenario that we have and the choice that we have to make here, maybe it makes sense to do that. I know our friend Jordan Esco, uh, he said if he was completely honest, he would take the guarantee. Uh, Fire Fletcher on Twitter, he also said guarantee the one. And I, I almost, I almost kind of agree with that. It's not the, the majority of people were, weren't saying that. We saw a lot of people that said, "Hey, um, you know, our time is coming." This one from Lamont Jones: our, "Our time is coming. BV's got this." And I think we're all still really high on Brent Venables. We saw the recruiting class that he brought in. Uh, we see, we still see some of the picture of of where he wants to take this program. But at the same time, we got a six and seven record last year. It wasn't the same type of success that we're used to in Norman. We had uh, everybody calling for the heads of Ted Roof and the heads of Jeff Lebby and uh, fire this guy and Dylan Gabriel needs to move on and so on and so forth. It was just, it was an awful year. It was a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And so I, you know, the, we all are, are hopeful on Brent Venables, but at the same time, he hasn't proven it yet. He hasn't proven that he's the guy. He's done it on the recruiting trail. He's put together one of the best classes pretty almost ever in the modern era of recruiting services uh, and what OU's been able to do. He's he's put it together one of the best, if not the best, on the recruiting trail. But on the field, the results aren't there yet. And I know it's not fair to maybe expect that completely in year one, but he's got to make a major jump from six and seven last year going forward to next year to say, hey, you know, we, we think Preventable is the guy and it's his time and, and he's got the capability to win multiple national titles at Oklahoma. Uh, John Ober had another great response here. He said, one in 20 years, what are we, Miami? Our expert, our expectations are much higher than that. And I, I definitely agree. I think it brings up an interesting point here because just looking at future conference mates here in the SEC, Auburn won a national championship in 2010. LSU won national championships in 2011 and 2019. Um, and then Florida, they last won their national championship in 2008 against OU, the last time OU was competing for a national championship. And you look at those programs, and I guess the question is, is OU closer to an Auburn, LSU, or Florida, or are they closer to an Alabama and Georgia? And that's something that I think it's hard for OU fans to accept that OU's probably closer to those Auburn, LSU, and Florida. And we look down our nose at those programs, to be honest, as a fan base. I absolutely do as a fan. I look at them and go, yeah, Auburn, they just fired their coach, their total, you know, uh, clown show in regards to the athletic program and the boosters versus the athletic director and uh, just all the mess that's going on there. Same thing with LSU. Sometimes same thing with Florida. Look at their, their NIL situation. I know that's separate from the athletic department, but there's just always different scenarios where there's uh, disruption and disharmony that are happening there. And, and at OU, we pride ourselves, at least we did for a long time, that, hey, we had the same president, we had the same athletic director, we had the same head coach, we had stability across the board. But yet at the same time, 
look who won a national championship and look at who didn't. So I, I think that I think it is somewhat of a fair comparison to say that, hey, OU probably is going to have a similar run to what Auburn and LSU and Florida have had in the SEC over the last decade. And I think it's I think it's fair to say OU's probably closer to that than they are to the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world. Let's just take a, an example of you know total uh, composite talent. This is a really great um, listing or report that 247 Sports puts together. And they just say, hey, who has the most overall talent on their roster just based off of you know, star rankings from high school. So it's not it's not 100% foolproof accurate, but it's pretty close. The The numbers don't lie in most scenarios. And number one on that composite talent, you got Alabama. Number two is Georgia. You go all the way down to number nine where OU is. Pretty solid. I think it's a ranking that we would all agree OU's probably going to boost that ranking over the next couple of years. And we got a number four class this year. Probably not going to do as well in the 2024 recruiting world just because of um, you're probably not going to have that quarterback leading the way and, and uh, carrying the flag for that class like you did in Jackson Arnold. But probably still, a would say, a top eight or nine class is probably realistic for what OU can, can shoot for. So I think you're going to build on that composite talent. But the difference between OU at, at number nine and Bama at number one uh, is 148 points. And that's how 247 uh, you know, ranks those. They assign points to the different players that are on the roster there. The difference is 148 points. And to give you some perspective there, this, the same difference between the next team 148 points behind OU in the rankings at number nine, it's actually team number 31. A huge gap. The difference between one and nine is the same as it is from nine to 31. And kind of ironically, the team at number 31 is Missouri, which has come up in conversation quite a bit recently as could they be a permanent opponent for OU in the new SEC scheduling? For me, I'm a fan of that, um, but it, it's just kind of funny to see, you know, the 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 talent composite there that's that's built up across the board, and the difference in the the ground that OU needs to make up to put themselves in that Auburn or sorry Alabama or Georgia conversation of this program, this team can win multiple national championships over the next 20 years, and it's a good it's a good question to consider there because OU hasn't won one over the last 20 years. And I think if you'd ask us before, you know, Lincoln Riley left, we'd say, yeah, we think he can do it. We think he can do it. We were all pretty excited. Let's say pre-2021. Let's, let's see, go back to maybe 2020, for example. I think we all would have rolled the dice and said, let's go for multiple national championships at that point. I think we would probably roll the dice back in 2016, right after uh, Baker Mayfield takes OU to the playoffs for the first time. I think we'd probably all roll the dice back when Landry Jones was quarterback in 2010 after he had that great sophomore season. So we're, we're a very confident fan base. We're, we're, we have high expectations, but I do wonder going into the SEC, you're going to have tougher competition on the schedule. You're going to have greater access through the playoffs. That that's true, but you're still going to have to win in those playoffs. And you're probably going to have to beat teams that maybe you already beat in the SEC in the regular season in that 12 team playoff. So nothing's guaranteed. There's certainly an uphill battle for OU to fight here to get up to the Georgia and Alabamas of the world because while OU is recruiting really well, they don't have the same advantages that those programs do in their proximity to talent. So I I think it's going to be tough. Uh, I don't want to be super negative, but it's going to be different. It's going to be different for OU fans to have to stomach the the pain that it's going to be to go in the SEC and and try to win just 10 games a year because your schedule is going to be so incredibly difficult Uh, And to be able to come out of that and then win a 12-team playoff more than once over the next 20 years, 
is, is going to be incredibly difficult. So let us know what you think. Uh, you're welcome to uh, shoot us a tweet on Twitter at the mainline pod. Find that tweet if you want to, and you can respond directly to it. I'd love to hear your feedback there. And of course, make sure to, to follow us on YouTube uh, by searching the mainline podcast there as well. I think we had something like four or 5,000 different views over the last 28 days. So we greatly appreciate everyone that's uh, enjoying our videos there. And of course, uh, subscribing on YouTube. Now, from a basketball perspective, at the time of recording, OU women's basketball is currently playing Texas Tech, not the best program in the conference. Uh, so OU's got a 16-point lead as it stands right now. I, I don't expect that to change, so I'm just going to assume that, that OU wins this game. And if I'm wrong, you guys can can come at me in the mentions there. But uh, I wanted to give props to the women's basketball program before we we talk about the men's. I know the men did some, some good things last night against K-State, but the women's program is boring. And... and what I mean is, yeah, I know people snicker. They think women's basketball is not the most entertaining product. Our, I beg to differ. Our women's team is very interesting on the court. But from a story perspective, this team is just quietly taking care of business. Got a great win last week against Baylor. Taking care of business against K-State on the road on, on Sunday. Um, taking care of business currently at home against Texas Tech. And they've got a lot more you know, not so great opponents on the schedule to finish out the rest of the year. They've got one ranked opponent in Texas that's coming to the LNC. They're currently number 17. That's an opportunity for a big win. But this team for, for women is is boring in the right way in that, you know, we're we're seeing them take care of who they should, occasionally come up and get a, a solid win against a Baylor team on the road. You might occasionally drop, you know, something maybe that uh, you should have you should have had in the bag, but otherwise pretty stable, nothing to out of the ordinary here, which is great because you want a team that's, you know, steady, solid, reliable, dependable, <laughs> kind of the opposite of what your men's team is right now. And so really it's just, Hey, take care of business. Hopefully, you know, beat Texas at home with a ranked win there, maybe get another uh, quality win in the big 12 tournament, do decent there, beat who you should, and then go into the March madness tournament, you know, with a solid footing here right now, we'll use the number five seed uh, projected in the chapel Hill region. I think that's something that they could certainly improve on if they just take care of business as the season wraps down. And if you get into that four seed or higher, you're looking at a host in uh, in Norman in the Lloyd Noble Center for the women's team, which I think is something that they they definitely deserve based on the way that they've played this year and competed. And I think something that OU fans would be super pumped about because we've had a full offseason, a full year of watching a team that's got some incredible players on it. And I think we could get some great atmosphere in the Lloyd Noble Center if OU is able to get up just one more seed line there to the number four seed. Now on the men's side, <laughs> the men come out and inexplicably find a way to beat K-State, which is kind of crazy because OU is on a seven-game losing streak in the Big 12 currently, uh, sandwiched around that one random miracle win against Alabama in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Now K-State is a team that I wonder if maybe they peaked a little bit too early in the year because they have struggled a little bit recently. But nonetheless, it's a great win for this this basketball program, uh, a sign that guys aren't completely checked out. Although in some some games recently, it seems like maybe they have or maybe things don't go their way and they kind of lay down. Um, that wasn't the case uh, against K-State Tuesday night in the Lloyd Noble Center. Um, OU team comes out, shoots 51% from the field, 47, uh, 47% from three-point range. Everybody in the starting lineup was in double figures except for OA. And then Tanner Groves, uh, you know, I dog on him more than probably anyone else on this team or maybe um, anyone just in general that wears a, an OU uniform. 
I got to give him props, though. Only one foul, stayed out of foul trouble, was able to keep on the court, found his way to 16 points. I think that's a huge difference for this team. When you have someone that can do that in the post, he's not going to be an elite defender ever. He's probably not going to be an average defender ever. He's always going to be uh, someone that you're going to have to scheme around a little bit defensively to help out. But if he's making up some of that difference by getting 16 points on the other end, uh, going two for three from the three-point line, that helps tremendously. That makes a huge difference there. Now, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that OU suddenly shot better, suddenly played better offensively uh, on Tuesday night. There's actually a, a reason and a thread, I think, that explains why that happened. And it really is, hey, they limited their turnovers. 11 for the game, a little bit high, but in the first half, really not a, a ton of turnovers. Uh, only 11 overall for the game. When OU was on that seven-game losing streak, though, they were losing 15 and a half per game, including 24 against Kansas in, uh, on the Saturday matchup there. So it's something that if this team takes care of the ball, they're going to have a, way more opportunities just offensively, obviously. But I think it does help those shooting percentages because um, you're, you're able to just take care of the ball and get it to the right scores when you need it to. Um, and that's something this team just really hasn't shown. Um, look at the, the overall wider picture of the season. Number 337th in the entire nation in turnover margin at negative three per game. So this is a team that if they take care of the ball, they can stay in the game. And if they do um, you know, play the right personnel, which I think Porter Moser has finally started to figure out, okay, we need to have a little bit more Otega Owe. We need to have a little bit more Joe Bamasile and maybe a little bit less Jacob Groves. Yes, Jacob Groves can hit the three at a, a decent rate. He's in his high 30s uh, percentage-wise from the three-point line. But defensively, it doesn't make up for for what he's able to do from the three-point line. So getting the right personnel on the court is huge. I think it helps a lot. Is it too little too late at this point? Almost certainly, because I could still see this basketball team losing out the rest of the regular season, finishing with a losing record, and probably not even a CBI or CIT uh, tournament invite. And if they were in the running for that, I don't even know if OU would even want to play in one of those tournaments. So it's still very unlikely that there's any tournament future ahead for this team. And then you go into the off season and wonder, okay, you know, what's going on with Porter Moser's status. He came out before uh, the game uh, against K-State. I guess it was the day before that he adamantly denied any uh, conversations with Notre Dame, any interest with Notre Dame. And he sounded, you know, pretty genuine in that. And I, I won't say it's it's not true, but we have seen coaches in the past, especially on the football side, where they say, I'm, I'm definitely not interested. Won't name any names there. But uh, and then they turn around and they end up going somewhere. So we'll see what happens from that. I, I do wonder that Notre Dame would even really want Porter Moser after how this season has turned out. Uh, from an Oklahoma perspective, it's tough to let go of a guy, you know, that has a, you know, a $6 million buyout on April 1st. And especially after two years, I think you do want to build some continuity there. He's got some nice recruits coming in from the high school side, two top 100 players, something that OU hasn't had a whole lot of recently. So, you know, you'd hate to hang on to a guy just to hang on to the recruits, but um, that's something that could make a big difference. Now, I think you really have to say make some hard decisions and say, hey, we got to start recruiting over some guys that aren't cutting it right now, whether it's from the transfer portal or if you find a, a last minute high school guy that's available, you do that. But for the most part, um, you know, you, you got to you got to start rehauling some of this roster because you also look at guys like Jalen Hill or Grant Sherfield um, that, that may say, hey, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. So he's certainly got his work cut out for him. 
And, you know, we've seen two years of this so far. I don't know that it's necessarily going to be able to turn around, but we'll see where things go from there. Uh, it certainly looks like Porter Moser will, will be around for a third year in Norman. Now, onto the diamond. Uh, softball got off to their opening weekend. That's something that I haven't seen this much excitement and energy from OU fans uh, on softball at any point. But when you win two straight national championships, the the crowd and the the excitement just continued to grow there. And it was kind of a mixed bag of results for the softball team out in California. You went undefeated, <laughs> like great five five and zero against a really solid slate of teams. Duke was ranked, Stanford, uh, well, I guess Duke is not ranked, but uh, a tournament team from last year, uh, Stanford is ranked, Washington was ranked, Liberty not ranked, but a tournament team, a very solid program out of the A-Sun there, and then finishing off with uh, San Jose State. Two run rule victories, solid, uh, but overall, I think people probably expected a little bit more out of the the offense. No Kinsey Hansen in the lineup. It's someone that Patty Gasso said will return to the lineup at some point, but probably not going to have her this weekend. Didn't have her back in California. To me, the person that stood out, though, was Haley Lee. She's someone I mentioned a week ago that I said, hey, I, I almost don't know where I fit her into the lineup just because there's so many quality bats here. And, and where do you put her? What position does she play? Um, but she had the opportunity without Kinsey Hansen to show what she could do. The transfer from Texas A&M had a pretty great weekend. Uh, six hits, five RBIs. Um, just came in and, and was a real quality at bat there uh, for the Sooners. So I'm not concerned about that. I think there will be some some shuffling in the lineup. You saw Grace Lyons um, a little bit more towards the end of the lineup this past weekend, and she's more traditionally a little bit closer to the front in that probably four or five um, you know type of role there. But we saw her around seven or eight. Um, so we'll see as the the lineup shuffles and as Patty finds out you know where is the best position for everybody uh, to land at. But it's not something I'm super worried about. You've got a little bit lighter competition over the next week or so. Uh, UCLA looms on, uh, I believe, February 26th. So that one's kind of in the, the distance there, about 10 days away. But overall, you got some some teams to kind of, <laughs> for lack of a better term, beat up on a little bit and probably get a lot of run rules here and get the bats going and, and figure out where your lineup is. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, we saw quite a few errors, um, especially against Washington on uh, Sunday. But the pitching was... Uh, pretty solid for the most part. Two straight shutouts to start the year. Nicole May looks awesome. Alex Duraco, uh came in there, made her de- debut, and uh, she was incredible. Um, but Nicole May, I think, is the, is the story here. 18 total strikeouts and two appearances. Um, shut out Liberty in a complete game. And then came in against Washington after relieving Jordy Ball there uh, and finished out that game without giving up a single run in either of those. So, her ERA remains at zero, and I thought she was really incredible. And it's a great story for someone that, you know, Nicole really could have gone just about anywhere in the nation and uh, and been the number one pitcher wherever she might have gone, even, you know, for a top 10 team. But she chose to stay in Norman, and as just a junior, man, that makes you excited. She's going to be around next year. Uh, she's killing it so far to, to start out this year, and it, it's always good to have a reliable quality arm that you can – uh, you can go to, um, you know, on a starting uh, basis, whether it's game one, game two, or game three in a series. It's always nice to have that and know that, hey, if you need her to to give Jordy Ball relief on an off day, you've got that too. So I'd you know, love to be able to see that out of Nicole May. Now, Jordy Ball was someone that I think people were maybe a little bit concerned about. Um, she got the, the shutout against Duke and then came in against Washington, probably the best team that OU played in this past weekend. Gave up four runs, 
four earned runs, walked six more batters, and then had to get replaced by Nicole May. It's tough. You know, it's, it's not the best outing from Jordy, but I think she's going to be all right. I think she'll recover. It's just one game there, and Washington's a quality opponent, and you love to be able to play those types of opponents early in the year because it really is It's kind of like the, the mantra of, you know, eat the frog first. You know, when you've got a, a busy day and a lot of things to do, do the hardest thing first. And from that point on, nothing really can phase you at that point. And I think that's kind of how this schedule sets up for the Sooners of, you know, they went out and attacked a bunch of teams that played in the tournament last year um, and, you know, came out 5-0. and So I think it's a good competition there to be able to say, hey, despite Jordy not playing her best game against a really good team in the Huskies, oh, you still found a way to win. And she's going to grow from that and learn from that. And at the same time, Jordy contributed quite a bit at the plate too. Grabbed two hits, a pair of RBIs. We didn't see a whole lot of her hitting last year. So it's a welcome sign to say, hey, you know, she's going to be probably one of the best, if not the best pitchers in all of college softball this year. But now she's contributing from the plate. Uh, that just gets even scarier. And uh, someone that's going to be certainly in the running for, uh, for player of the year for uh, Oklahoma and the Sooners there. Now, something that I, might be a surprise that I save this for last. As a solo pod, going with baseball at the end of the podcast, I had my opportunity. Maybe I should have put them first. And then I'm a guy that jokingly last year, uh, I always kind of saved it for the last because I knew most fans didn't want to hear about baseball, but uh, I'm so excited that baseball is finally here. The excitement level from fans is is high. It looks like we've got some great weather in the forecast. Sunday is going to be mid-60s. Monday is going to be mid-60s. So if you have President's Day off, make it down to uh, the Dale and Norman and check out this team on opening weekend. We've got a, a three-game series against Cal Baptist, Air Force on Monday, Abilene Christian at Globe Life on Wednesday, and then a whole new series on the following weekend. So a lot of games in a very short amount of time. And I think it's great because you've got so many unknowns about this baseball team. We talked about it last week with uh, Schultze and Johnny Baseball as they helped us out with our baseball preview. But there are a lot of unknowns about this team. We've got some solid guys returning in Jackson Nicholas and Kendall Pettis and John Spikerman and so forth. Um, but we've got a, a brand new weekend rotation. Uh, it looks like we're going to get Kale Davis, the Oklahoma State transfer, to start on on Friday, and then Will Carson will probably start on the Saturday game. And the Sunday game, Skip mentioned this in his press conference this past Saturday, still up in the air. So we'll see where OU goes from there. But also at the same time, who's going to be the first arm that's called out of the bullpen? Who's going to be called on to be the closer at that point? I know Aaron Calhoun's a name that a lot of people are are super excited about, a freshman that showed some stuff last year and looked pretty solid. And I think he's going to be an arm probably out of that bullpen. He might be the first one that they call on, but... You're going to see a lot of looks from a lot of different guys um, from that bullpen, and we're going to be able to see pretty quickly, you know, what does OU have here? What has Skip developed in this offseason through fall ball? And, and what, sh- what should we expect here? And so I think that's the beauty of playing so many games pretty quickly is you're going to be able to see pretty much everything OU has out of that bullpen pretty quickly and early on. Now, at the plate, I think there's certainly some interesting names to keep an eye on. We know who was here last year, but... From a new perspective, I think Bryce Madron, he's going to start in right field. The junior college transfer went for 20 and 20 last year, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases. He's not going to be a, a big guy that uh, has a lot of stature. I believe he's listed at just 5'8". But, you know, for someone that could hit 20 home runs, I know it's, it's junior college. It's a little bit different competition level. But at the same time, that's, that's very impressive. And the speed he's going to bring on the base paths is really going to add to that chaos mantra uh, that, that OU likes to 
to play there with Reggie Willits calling the shots on offense. So I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do. And then I think Dakota Harris is another one. Um, you know, from a defensive perspective uh, at shortstop, he's touted as one of the best ever that, that might come into OU from a defensive perspective. But what is he going to be able to contribute from the plate as well? I think that'll be an inter- interesting one to watch there. So all the games uh, this weekend and on Monday on ESPN+, Plus, something that we really haven't had uh, from Oklahoma in recent years because everything was on Soonersports.tv. I don't think there was probably a ton of people that had those uh, had that subscription there. And so I don't think people really watched this team early on or they didn't pay much attention to it early on. Basketball was still going on. Softball had already started. So I don't think a whole lot of people had really tuned into what what happens to the baseball program at this point in the year. But we've got it on ESPN Plus now, one of the benefits of moving that direction. And so I'm excited to see. It's, it's kind of the right timing where everyone's coming together. We're excited about what happened last year from the College World Series run. And now... We've got all the games on ESPN Plus, at least the ones at home, to tune into. So I'm excited to see what this team can do. Cal Baptist is a solid team. They won 36 games last year. So um, they are from the WAC. It's a smaller conference. But at the same time, quality enough competition that I think you'll be able to get an idea of of what this team is going to be like. So excited to see what the baseball team is able to do. And that's going to conclude the podcast for today. So we appreciate everyone listening. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Mainline. Uh, But until then, make sure to follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, and we will see everyone again next week for another episode.